everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. Uh, as always, it's your host, Alex Metzger, and it's been probably two weeks now since I uh, last released a podcast. It's been real busy time for me. I'm transitioning. I just finished university uh, last Friday, actually, and stepped right into a new full-time job that I'm really excited to start, but it's... Uh, it's been quite the transition, actually working, you know, starting to work again and, and now getting set up from home. So that's the reason I haven't posted for a couple of weeks here, but uh, we've got a great episode for you today. I think everyone will really enjoy it. And as always, I just want to say a quick thank you for all the support and all the content. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends, as, long as, as well as following all my work at lastwordonhockey.com and milehighhockey.com. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I uh, hope you all enjoy the episode, and I will talk to you all next week. Joining me now, you can find him on Twitter, at Defense Minister. Uh, it's Tyler Ray. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? Great, great. Appreciate being along on this nice weekend to be able to chat Sends Hockey. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's good today. The weather, I don't know what we're... I, I'm not from Ottawa. I'm about six hours away, and the weather here is nice for once. It's been uh, raining all week, but it'll be nice to get out after this. But uh, always good to, to, to chat some hockey on the weekend, right? Yes. I'm out here in beautiful, sunny Canada today anyway, so we have the, the same type of weather. So, yes, it's nice that the rain's gone away for a little bit. We can uh, get out and, uh, out and about in the sun. Absolutely. And uh, again, what, what better time really to talk about Ottawa than, you know, the recent stretch of play here and... Uh, um, we'll get in the argument, or not, not the argument, the discussion about, you know, what do these games mean as much, obviously, as the beginning of the year. But um, regardless of how you put it, Ottawa's been on a roll as of late. You know, they, they've won two in a row. They took three of four against the Canucks. And and uh, in their last six games, they've won uh, five of them. So, and even the games before that, it was a 3-2 loss to the Jets, a 4-2 win, and then a 6-5 loss to the Leafs. So they've really been in every single game they've they've played over the past couple weeks. And uh, it's been a more encouraging stretch of hockey recently yeah I think this year more than any other I think in other years we might be getting kind of upset <laughs> with them winning games uh this time because we're worried about the draft pick and uh whatnot but I think this year is special uh just because uh um you know of the roster and the makeup that it is now with with what we can see as a future core that's there so I think you want to see them do well uh you want to see them end the season on a high and take that momentum into the offseason into camp next year so as fans, uh, these games are, you know, while they're not uh, super meaningful in terms of uh, points or anything like that, I think it's fun uh, for us. And and as Sens fans, I think we deserve that a little bit because it's been a, a long, long stretch of not having a lot of fun watching the team. And and so I am happy to give up a little bit in terms of draft position to watch them, uh, you know, have some strong results this this last stretch of the season. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point. Whereas, you know, if this would have been last year, uh, like just actively, I found in my side was totally included in this. I wanted them to lose, you know, like if they won and it was the kids scoring goals or whatever, you weren't going to be mad at the end of the day, but you knew the long-term plan for this team was to lose and try and get a high pick. And, and, you know, they, they ended up doing that pretty well, right. You know, obviously the lottery balls didn't uh, exactly fall their way, but they, they end up with three and five, which I, no one is complaining about with how Stutzel has been playing this year and, and how Sanderson looked at UND. Right. But uh, yeah, this year it's um you know there's a lot of factors it's this team should be trying to get a little better so if you're finishing third or fourth last instead of dead last that's an improvement a slight one obviously you need more going forward but it's quite okay and this year you know the draft feels way more wide open too right like I'm not a huge prospects guy but I try to keep updated and there doesn't even seem to be a consensus one there's a whole bunch of pretty good guys at the top of the draft so sliding from one to four might not be as big of a deal as it is in past drafts 
Yeah, very much a more of a crapshoot than, than any other year. So yeah, if this is the year you're you're gonna mess around with your draft position and slide back, uh, like th this is the one that that you want it to happen in. And uh, who knows, you could hit gold with the with the person you pick, anyways, because uh, it, I don't think the scouts really have a handle on on who is uh, consensus ranked and, and where they are. So just grab the the someone and and see what they end up being. And at the end of the day, this. The first round pick this year seems almost like a bonus in terms of like their, their roster building. You always want to keep uh, replenishing the pipeline and and you need to draft really well, but uh, it seems less urgent in, in this particular draft because they have been able to build up uh, such a, a strong prospect base uh, prior to this. So uh, not a big concern. I mean, the draft will be fun for us, I'm sure, to, to be able to speculate and see who we have, but uh, the on-ice uh, performance seems to really be... Uh, the thing that we can we can focus on this year and really take something from yeah and i think that's that's exactly where i wanted to go with it too because you know my next point was going to be that you know if they were winning a bunch of games but it was just a goaltender standing on his head with 970 goaltending i don't think that process is exactly you know what you want to see because it's not sustainable long term but it's not there and granted I, I should point out that you know they took three or four against the canucks team coming back from COVID, and they have a hellish schedule so i i feel bad but for the canucks team but at the same time the way they're winning is the young kids are getting it done they're the ones driving this bus forward. And, you know, and because they're basically the leaders there, you know, there's not too many old guys left on this roster and for good reason, but that's, what's so encouraging to me is it's the Kachuk, Norris, Bathersons, uh, they're leading away, but then you also got the Formanton, the Pintos of the world. They're chipping in and doing everything they can too. And, and that's what, you know, to me anyways, recently has been really leading to a couple more wins. And that's just, it's so exciting to see for, you know, even just heading into next year. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's always great to see that first line really excel and, and you can kind of picture in your head, hey, is this something that they can keep together and, and that line can progress to the level where you're you're up with some of the top lines in the league going forward. Uh, me personally, the, the thing that's been most exciting is watching the the Pinto Formanton and then, you know, they've had Paul over on the other side and uh, um, who else? Connor Brown sometimes lines up uh, with them. So that line to me has been exciting because with your roster building and looking at for defending, you need, um, you know, really strong, I call it a third line essentially to, to, to match up. And the fact that it appears almost immediately that uh, Formington and Pinto have been given lots of confidence with the coach. And, you know, that's the main thing. If you're a fan and you want to know that DJ trusts those guys because they won't play if he doesn't trust them. Uh, and it seems almost immediately those guys have come in the lineup and he's has no problem. They're the, the first unit penalty killers. They're out there at the end of the games. They're taking important face-offs. He he's putting them in all great situations and they're doing, and they're doing really well. And I think that more than, you know, putting together a really strong first line, you need to see uh, that depth underneath being built. And uh, you know, you, you can't really say anything, bad about how those guys have been able to to uh, perform to, to this point just in their young NHL careers yeah Formanton's one that he's really between I think him and Batherson have been the two that have really just I've been more so pleased with to see their development and you can throw Norris in there as well for sure um, but you know because we knew what Kachuk was going to be you know rel relatively speaking we knew what Kachuk was going to be we still, you know, I still think there's a spot for Branstrom and I think he's looked better and we'll get into his play to take another step up. But, you know, the, the biggest question marks for me heading into the year were can guys like Batherson and Formanton, who's, you know, cracked the team out of out of training camp a couple of years, but just never stuck. Can those guys prove to be everyday NHL 
Steelers. And Batherson has proved himself to be a legit top six winger. And that's been massive. And and Formington stepped in and been a perfect bottom six guy, as you said. And, and I, I, I think he has more to give still, too. You know, like, I think there's still a ceiling that he can grow. But right now, like, that penalty kill is just buzzing with those guys out there. And, and it, it's a penalty kill I don't think you want to go out and face because they have such a good chance of just turning a chance against you if you're not careful on that blue line. Yeah. And my philosophy on a penalty kill has always been it's less about uh, the D you line up out there because it's pretty static, right? You, when you're in a box, uh, I don't know if it really matters who your D are. This, you know, you want them to be strong positionally and, and that, but it's the forwards that they, they make or break your penalty kill because they can be aggressive on the points. They can create offensive chances. They have to have really strong stick and anticipation. And if you don't have the right forwards out there, that's when your penalty kill gets in trouble. And I think they found guys like Formanton should just be a, a fixture on a penalty kill on any team that he's at because he ge- tends to generate more offensive chances for the penalty kill than the, than the power play. And Pinto with his, you know, his face-off ability, his anticipation, he's able to get a lot of uh, sticks and lanes for, for those pucks to intercept them. Uh, that's just, that's why the penalty kill is night and day I in, in my mind. And I, you can interchange, you can put whoever you want on D on, on the PK. Uh, it's the forwards that are really making the difference. Yeah, absolutely. That that just injection of some speed and skill there where and and just the fact that, you know, they just they don't give guys time to to move the puck. I thought that was, you know, the, the beginning of the year, the penalty kill was just one of the hardest things to watch because they just stood in a box and they didn't freaking move anywhere. It was just the team could just pass and pass and pass. But now it's like you got guys who are actively going, they're pressuring the, the, the sideboard, they're pressuring the points. And what we're seeing more often is it's, it's causing mistakes and those don't all automatically lead to breakaways the other way. Uh, honestly, a lot of the time it does, but even just the fact that they can move, it's not a perfect tape to tape pass. And the guy receiving the pass now has to take an extra second. He can't just one time. It. It's been, it's made a world of a difference, you know, from, from what we had in the first 15 games or so, where it felt like they were letting in two penalty kill or goals on the penalty kill a night because they were just standing around. And it's uh, that that's been one of the biggest improvements. It's awesome to see. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, you, you love what they're doing on the power play now, which is, you know, their whole special teams was, was just a mess uh, for so long. Uh, and I think, you know, unfortunately I, I, uh, um, I was a huge fan of that and off signing when he came on and I thought, you know, he'd fit right in on the power play. And, you know, for whatever reason, I don't think he's a, uh, you know, bad player. And I think he has more to give, but I just, that for whatever reason, that fit on that first power play, you know, was not there. They moved him around a bit. They had him on the sideboard, they moved him in the bumper position and whatever scenario it was, it, it wasn't clicking with the rest of the guys in the ice. And as soon as they, moved him off. Josh Norris kind of came in on a more permanent basis and they switched around. They kind of had uh, Batherson move, move off into, uh, into bumper position and, and had Norris kind of set up on that side. Well, then you saw it, it really take off. Um, even guys that have been on there forever, like Kukachuk and Shabbat, you could see them generating way more chances on the power play. Um, and so that's been fun to see too, just on the other side of the, the, uh, the special teams. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a big defender of Dadanov this year. I think, you know, it's not been a great year. You want a little more production. I think some of the expectations might have been overhyped. Just he was playing with two of the best players in the league in Barkov and Huberto in his past two years in Florida. And I know Florida doesn't always get a lot of attention, but those are two legitimate studs on the ice. And to expect him to do anything like he did in Florida was always going to be, um, you know, exaggerated. But the fit on the power play, you're absolutely right. It's just 
like, you know, the middle point of the year was clear. It just wasn't working. And I do think he probably still has more to give. I think next year, you know, I think he still only has like five assists or something crazy like that. And I don't th- like, it's not like he's a puck hog or anything like that. Like he moves the puck. I, I feel like that's more bad luck. So I, like, yeah. I, I've seen the, I've seen takes saying that people will want Seattle to, to claim him. And I listen, if you're losing him to Seattle, it's not the end of the world, but I think, you know, he's, I'm protecting him personally, just because you got two more years on that contract. It was one of your biggest free agent signings in a while. And it's been, he's at his lowest possible value. I think it's only up from here for him. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it just, it doesn't mean he needs to be the top scorer. Like maybe we thought he would be, if he plays power play two chips in, 20 goals or 15 to 20 goals and gets another 15 to 20 assists next year. I think that's well worth $5 million when you're, especially when the team doesn't need to be spending all the way up to the cap right away. Anyways. Yeah. I think he, he can be found money a little bit too. Uh, and, and I agree. There's much more to give there. A lot of times it, we don't take into account the when I, there's a change in situation, like with a free agent signing or a new trade, sometimes that player doesn't click right away, uh, but he will eventually. So it's, it's in some cases a full season that you need. So I, I'd look forward to what he's able to do, uh, you know, over the summer and, and see what, uh, when he comes into camp, I, I don't think there's any way they leave him exposed in the expansion. Or I don't think we'd have to worry about that uh, there because even if he doesn't hit what they thought he was going to be, he's a useful player in the lineup. Like it, maybe he's not even in your top six, but he's, if he's not, then he's contributing on, on whatever line because he's not just a, uh, you know, if he's not scoring goals, he's useless. Like he, he is a good, strong two-way player. Um, he provides a little bit of offensive punch. If you don't have him on a main scoring line, you can still, you know, on those other lines, uh, given that he's a nice, to me right now, a second power play unit guy. Uh, maybe, if, uh, you know, some things change and he moves back up into that first unit down the road, but uh, it's a nice uh, weapon to have in that on that second unit too. So I, I think he fits in well. And, and yeah, another two years on that deal, that's that's definitely manageable. And like you say, cap situation is not really impacting them right now. So yeah, I I I look at him as something that that could be a little bit of a bonus next year if he really uh, is able to to pick it up too. So uh, a nice thing to have. Yeah, I mean, he's on pace for 21 goals over 82 games this year. And if that's your third line player, I, no one's complaining about that. Sure, $5 million might be a tad overpriced, but again, it's still right around in that, like Connor Brown, or um, yeah, like Connor Brown and Chris Tierney don't make a ton less. And, you know, that's kind of what you would expect their production, maybe even a little, that's probably a little higher than their production over a year. And, and the, the, the one last thing I want to add enough too, and I think the fit is a great thing is sometimes you see a guy come in and it's clear when he, he's it's things aren't going his way. He just it clear. It doesn't look like he's trying. To me, that's not the case with dad. Like he's flying out there most nights. He's crashing the net. He's trying to make stuff happen. And, and like, that's what I felt when I'm watching the game all year. And, you know, like I, I'm pretty big on statistics. I think analytics back up that he's probably been a little better than what, you know, his stat sheet says right now. But even just when I watch him, like I don't see a bad player out there. I, I see a guy who sometimes he looks a little nervous and then other times it's just, it's pure bad luck, you know, like he's got an empty net and instead, you know, a stick breaks or he goes crashing into the boards or something. And those things will bounce back and, you know, should regress to the mean. And, you know, you'll, you'll probably see a couple more assists and maybe an extra goal or two here and there next year. And that'll be very valuable. Yeah. I, I have no problem with him uh, uh, being around. And like you say, it it's a little bit different if it's an all or nothing player and you're not getting those actual like counting numbers, you're not getting the points there and and then you're, you're you're hurting otherwise i think he's given you a lot even if he's not putting the puck in a net 
there's there's a lot to like about what he's doing out there on the ice and and supporting the team. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice problem to have. I mean, you would have loved for his first season to be uh, uh, even better, but they've got him for three years. They they have time for him to kind of work his way to figure out exactly. I think the main thing for him is to find chemistry with a center, and that that was something that hasn't happened really yet. And but it it probably will, and it, I think that's a function of maybe having the. He played with Barkov and Huberto, like you said. Uh, Sens don't really have uh, that level of, of so he might have to adjust his game a bit to find the chemistry with with the, a center that they they stick with him eventually. Yeah, one hundred percent. Let's shift to the blue line here a little bit. Then uh, this has been another big big part of the last five games or so, in my opinion. I, I've really liked what the blue lines. Um, done. I've liked the look of the left side a lot. Uh, let's start with the guy who's not playing, and that's Bernard Docker. You know, he he got in for a game, uh, and then Josh Brown came back in the lineup. What, what are your opinions on JBD sitting out? Would you rather see him in? Would you rather, you know, a cycle? Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole thing? Well, I mean, personally, I, I'm not the the coach. I don't have all these other things to think about. But yeah, I, to me, if you sign him and you bring him over now, the whole point would be to bring him in and have him in games so you can evaluate him. Right. And see, because I think that's the most important thing with him when you're going into the offseason is, is this guy potentially part of the mix in camp next year? Right. Can, and I don't think you can figure that out unless you're seeing him play NHL games. Um, it might become very apparent right away if you were playing a stretch and you're like, OK, he's overmatched right now. He needs to work on some things. Um, and then you kind of know that going into the offseason. What it sounds like to me is that they kind of made up their mind already, whether it's in practice or uh, some other things that they, they've looked at in terms of the tape on him that he probably isn't ready. They want him to be in AHL next year. So they're not as concerned about getting into, into games right now because they've already kind of made that evaluation. Um, it, I don't really worry about the development or anything like that. Like he's going to him sitting for, for a little stretch here. doesn't really impact him specifically. I think it's more about the evaluation, but to me, it feels like they've already kind of, had a pre-made evaluation coming in. Uh, I think he'll get in a couple of games. We'll see a little bit more. I, I think there's a lot of pressure on the coach to get him in the lineup. And and he, you know, is, is, is probably resistant to that, but there'll be some, some games he knows he has to slip him in uh, before the end of the season. Um, I mean, personally, I would have liked to see him in every game because at this point, it, to me, it's an evaluation period. That's what you really want. Uh, I think the coach has a little bit of a different strategy in terms of they really want to, win games and he feels like having if it's Josh Brown or whatever in there that helps them be more balanced and, and win these games at the end so I'm sure that that's the reasoning yeah and that's where you know and I don't know we don't need to get into a whole philosophical a philosophical debate here about DJ Smith but that's been one of my biggest maybe pet peeves I think is the right word to call it where it's like it's clear that there's still a little bit of a disconnect between DJ Smith wants to just put the lineup that gives him the best chance of winning that game out every night and Part of me, I understand it. They're competitors. They want to win. But, and obviously, like, I expect the players to give it all, they're all every night. But, you know, with a coach and a rebuilding team, I sometimes would rather the coach and GM be on, on path a little bit more in just terms of, like, we need to see what we got going for. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head when, you know, him playing this year or not is not going to ruin his development. You know, seven games or eight games in the NHL is not going to kill this kid. Not playing those seven games is also not going to kill him. Um, if he starts in the NHL the next year, I'm okay with that. But uh, that's that's kind of where the 
the debate internally for myself goes back and forth because I, I would rather just see him so you know how close he is to the NHL, you know? And and you can't judge everything off of eight or nine games anyways. It's a, a relatively small sample size. You know, we saw, you know, um, goaltending is a little different, but he, even a guy like Holberg last year looked awesome near the end of the year and just couldn't stop a beach ball for half of this year, right? So, uh, you know, it, it's nine or ten games, but it's not the end of the world. And, you know, the, the other thing I think he's got going against him, I, A, I thought he played really well when he was in the lineup. You know, him and Mete looked really good together. I think they, they it was, again, only like eight minutes, but they controlled scoring chances for and against. Um, they look good. But Josh Brown and Victor Mete have looked pretty good together too. You know, they're they're above 50% expected goal share as, as a pairing since they've been put together. Slightly below 50 on the Corsi 4 percentage, but you can't, like, just the, the difference between pairings there um, – since the trade deadline it has been pretty big. So I think that's the other thing that goes against JBD is that it's not like Josh Brown is looking like Josh Brown of the beginning of the year. He, he looks competent out there and he, he brings a bit of a different element. And uh, I would rather see JBD in for a couple games here, but um, you know, I, I hope they can get him in for at least three or four at the end of the year, two or three, maybe at the end of the year here. But uh, you know, I don't think Josh Brown has played his way out of a lineup spot either. Yeah. And, and, like I said, I'm not a huge Josh Brown fan in general, but you, you have to give it up that the fact that, uh, you know, this stretch that he's been able to finally get, because he, he essentially became the healthy scratch for, you know, a, a healthy portion of the last month before they, they had the trade deadline. And then, you know, by the, the rules of who was on the roster, he needed to get in. Um, he's really been, you know, a lot better. And, and I think, you said there's no complaints about what he's been able to do. And yeah, he's paired up nicely with, with Mete. And, and so there's not really a on ice reason to, to get him out of line. And I think that's where DJ and DJ's just inclined to like those type of players, especially if there's not other options uh, on the D. So I think that's where, uh, you know, in the off season, they'll have to kind of address that disconnect because I, that's, they're there and maybe even not a dj thing like you probably want to have at least one guy a big guy uh your prototypical uh physical d that that uh provides some intimidation maybe does not need to be a fighter but just a a, a guy that that's a bigger because the rest of the d is more um offensively inclined and and you know in a lot of cases smaller um so i don't know if that's josh brown uh, next season but they probably have to find someone and that to me will, will satisfy DJ's need to have someone there. And then they might feel more comfortable about inserting JBD, uh, you know, at, at that point. But I think this, this is the main hesitation. He feels like if Josh Brown's out and JBD's in, then they don't have anyone in that six that, that can really, you know, do the things he wants to like stand up for guys, uh, uh, put out and, and and provide that physical element as well so that that's probably where we're at now and why we're seeing the hesitancy yeah and i think the the biggest problem there's there's nothing wrong with having some you know grit and sandpaper at the bottom of your lineup it's just they've got to be able to play hockey too and that's the biggest thing you know like braden coburn seems like a great guy couldn't play hockey eric goodbranson again by all accounts, really nice guy. Can't play hockey. So it doesn't matter. But like, you know, you get a guy in, um, even, you know, you laugh, like I laughed a little bit and the Leafs signed uh, Zach Bogosian this summer, but he's been a pretty good fit there. You know, he's, he's moved the puck out. They don't ask him to do too much, but he brought a different element and he doesn't play every night either. And I think that's okay too, where, 
if you're signing a guy, you can have guys to be six sevens there where, you know, you can say you play, um, I'm trying to think this division's more skilled. Say you play Winnipeg and you think you're going to have a, a harder four checking kind of game. There's your big body probably coming in the lineup, but you play a, a team like Toronto or whatever, where, you know, it's going to be, or Edmonton where it's a real high skill game. Yeah. Maybe you go six smaller guys and run a more offensively, um, lit D out there. And I, I don't think that's an issue. And, you know, for the defense, especially on that right side, to me, the most painfully obvious thing that just, it's not going to happen is taking Zeitz about for a game or two. And it just, it, it won't happen. But it, like, to me, I would be totally okay if he took Zaitsev out, let Josh Brown play, but then also got JBD in for a game. But I just, I don't see them scratching him considering how he's been used. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, a perfect world this offseason, what you're looking to do if you're trying to, you know, bring a new D in externally is that you're upgrading from Zaitsev. So, so Zaitsev out, someone better and more, you know, if you want it to be that big physical guy, sure. But that that's who can play in your top four. I mean, that to me is ideal for them right now. And then, uh, you know, they can presumably as the season goes on, if they, even if they want to start JBD in the HL, that when he's in, he can slip in on that bottom pairing uh, do that, and you're not worried about, oh, oh no, well, that means we can't have anyone to, to take on those physical elements uh, at that point. So I don't know if that's going to happen. So it says contracts a little bit of a, and I actually think they, they like him a lot. So that, that's one of the things too. You can tell by the ice time and the way DJ talks about him uh, that, that they, you know, like him where he is at, at this moment so uh, we may not see a change there but i think you know ideally if that's uh, if you're looking at off-season strategies that's that's probably something i would want them to do yeah i brought up a name like i don't know if he's quite necessarily a top four i think he's more of a fringe four or five guy but like an ian cole type player where if you could get him in on a, a two-year deal or something like that uh you know even at three or four million dollars if you have to and he's your zeitsev replacement where it's like he starts in the top four you get JBD in the lineup eventually. And if JBD works his way up the lineup, that's great. Ian Cole can flit on your third pair as well over the next year or two. And um, yeah, like I, the, the biggest problem with Zaitsev is definitely just that they view him as an asset. And I doubt very, very few other teams in the league probably view him that same way. So when you have a team that's already overvaluing a player and most of the teams don't put any value on that player, it's going to be pretty hard to move them. Right. And um, you know, I, I've been on the train of, I, I would, explore to see what Seattle would want to take him. I, I wouldn't give up a first or anything like that, but if you could move him for a draft pick and a, I don't know, a, a B or C level prospect, I would definitely think about doing it because that clears 4.5 off your books for the next three years. And, and more importantly, you know, again, like we mentioned the cap, but more importantly to me, it gives you a right-handed space that, you know, you can't just be using Zaitsev as a crutch on your top line anymore. And you have to go out and find someone else for that. Yeah, I, I would like them to be able to, um, you know, explore those types of opportunities. But like, I, I wonder how much they will just because of how they, they generally feel about him being there. I think they uh, they don't have a problem with him being here, but maybe there'll be other things that kind of push that to the forefront and that, that makes them say like, oh, maybe we should look at uh, making that change. And, and it's maybe it's the... Uh, emergence of Zub being there on the right side as well. They say, well, this guy potentially, we know he's in a top four slot with it. We're comfortable with, with that being the case. And, and he can play physically too, right? He's got that element in his game. He's not a huge guy, but uh, it's certainly more than Zaitsev came in anyways. Uh, so they, maybe that opens it up. Uh, I still think they're, if he's out, they're, they're getting someone else in, right? We're, we're not just uh, doing everything internally there. So I, uh, 
it'll that's where I hope they 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 focus their efforts in terms of the the off season and trying to to you know upgrade that idea a bit. Uh, we'll see if that's the case of where they run. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I, I think if there's a an obvious spot that you kind of want to fill a hole this off season, it's the right side of the D. You know, the left. I, I would be perfectly happy, more than content actually, that if they ran back this three on the left. You know, going into next year for the D and and the forwards, I don't have much complaints about either. I think if you could add another top six forward, always go and look to do that. But I just I, I don't see it being viable. You know, where the team is in the rebuild and even who's on the market. You know, like it would have to be a dad and contract where it's only two or three years at less money than you think you'd get perfect type of contract to take a swing at, but don't be going and signing the six by sixes or whatever that they get handed out so often, you know? So um, yeah, I, I think the right hand of this, uh, D is where, you know, it's going to be the most interesting thing to see, to see how they view it, especially because, you know, we say it, it's pretty obvious, but there's a non-zero chance that they really do just like the right side of their D how it is now and, and want to go like that next year. And, you know, I would say that's a bit of a mistake, but yeah, you never know. And, you know, speaking of the left side of the D, that's the other thing I really wanted to get into today. Um, I think all three of them have looked really, really good over this last four or five game stretch. Like, like really good. Uh, Thomas Shabbat, I, th- I think that it's, it's a small sample. It's only two, two games, I think. But, um, you know, his ice time is slowly starting to creep down a little bit. You know, over the last two games he played, I think it was 26.05 and 25.54. So that's a little lower than like the 28 we've seen him clock in at before. And and I think like it looks, he just, he looks like a new, he looks like the old Thomas Shabbat, basically. You know, there's been a lot of talk about him this year, but I've really loved his game over the past week or two. Yeah. It gives me good uh, um feelings about when the time comes that uh, Jake Sanderson does come in the lineup, right? So we're thinking end of next year, right? Once he's done his college season, uh, he's the big minute eater to tradition. Like you're probably seeing him do the big matchups uh, once they, they establish him as an NHLer. And to me, that bodes really well for Shabbat because uh, you can tell there's almost a direct line to how good he looks and how much you're limiting his ice time. And, and the matchups and everything, because, you know, it's the same when Carlson was here, uh, you sag a bit when, when you're the only real option and they're on the coach trusts and you're out there in all the major situations there, there's good things about that, but it wears you down after a while. And what it really does is it affects your offense because you can't go on these big end end rushes. You can't have the, because you have to conserve your energy because you, you know, you're, you're out there like a couple shifts from now. Um, so you don't see that explosiveness and, and that, uh, that offensive, which is, you know, that's the bread and butter of Shabbat's game. He's, he can be out there in defensive situations and you trust him, but really his main value is out there really driving the offense and, and jumping up into rushes and being able to bust through the the blue line and, and break down those defenses. Um, but he's not going to do that if you, if you play him a lot. So as soon as they get, uh, a pairing or, or a guy who they really trust to be out there and kind of take on some of those harder minutes. Um, that that's kind of the, the issue. See, so that's why I'm excited because I think that's what Sanderson's built for. I think that they know it, he's going to have a full other year. And I think it'll be like Pinto. He, as soon as he, he is done school, they'll slip him in there and he'll never, he will not play a minute of AHL hockey. So uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Cause I think indirectly it'll, it'll uh, boost the prospects of, of Shabbat. Yeah. And, you know, obviously not everything just goes perfectly right, but there's a, a very easy scenario to see here in within a year and especially in two years where, uh, yeah, you have Shabbat playing 
25 minutes-ish a night and looking to appear offensively, just being a force in the offensive end. And it's not like he can't play defense. I think with less of a defensive responsibility, you'll see some more better plays come from him as well, if that makes sense, right? Where, you know, if you're playing less in the defensive zone, you're going to actually pick up on some plays that you can do better and it's going to help your overall game. And then you're going to have Sanderson taking the big matchups in a couple of years and, and, you know, being that shutdown guy, quote unquote, but who can still move the puck. It's not like, Again, I feel like when we say shutdown guy, we think of some guy who's just cross-checking dudes in front of the net or whatever, and and that's not the case. It's a guy who can, you know, stop zone entries when it is in the zone, effectively take the puck and move it out the other way. That's the perfect 2021 shutdown guy, and I think Sanderson's built pretty well for that. And then on your third pair, take your pick of Mete or Branstrom, you know, whoever develops better over the next year or two, they can just feast on on those third and fourth lines in those easy minutes at 14 minutes a night or whatever. And I, I think it's a really good um, outlook for success where it's like, there's, there's a very obvious path that stuff can go very right here. Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm going back in time a bit, but I think about, you know, ideal third pairings. Uh, if you go back to when they were last, you know, contending for cups, uh, they had uh, the, the one year that uh, Tom Pricing and Joe Corwell, that was their, their third pairing. Right. And then they had, you know, Volchenko, Phillips, Redden, uh, uh, Chara, like they, they had all those guys in the top four, but the Corbo and pricing for the small time they were together, they feasted on that. And they were, you know, fairly offensive guys. Neither one of them were physical at all. Tom pricing was tiny. Uh, he had like, you know, he led the league, in, not the plus minus is a great statistic, but he led the league in, pl- in plus minus that year because they were just completely uh, sheltered in their minutes. They got to go out there. And, and I think, uh, in a lot of cases since then, especially when they're Brian Murray's regime, they were trying to re- replicate that. They'd always had these like, uh, you know, not prime guys, but offensive defensemen that they try and stick on that third pairing. But because the the top four wasn't really set, you kind of expose those guys. But if you have a really great top four, you can stick. If you put Eric Bramstrom on a, on a bottom pairing, um, he will go to town. He'll have great point totals. You don't even need to really play him special teams. I mean, that would be nice too, but uh, you'll really see um, that that be an effective use of the bottom pairing as as opposed to just guys that aren't very good that you want you want on the ice the, the least amount possible, but you have to stick them out there occasionally and then they get like penalty kill time and things like that. Th- this is a way you can really maximize the guys you use on your bottom pairing if, if you have those big horses in the in your top four. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've seen it, you know, um, every cup winners built differently, obviously, but just look at you know a couple of the Pat, like Tampa last year, Hedmonton Hedman played half the game, and then when he came off, McDonough played, and then you know they had the third pairing they, they, that went out there for eight or nine minutes. You know, Sergachev was part of that top forward. You had your four horses, and then it was um, you know I, I'm trying to think of the the name on the bottom pair. Cernak was on the bottom pair, and, and he would just kind of feast when he, when he was out there, and you know. For Washington, it was the same kind of thing where they had uh, John Carlson. Obviously, he's offensive, but then Dmitry Orlov as their their big two up front, and then you had um, um, oh man, they picked him up from Detroit. They had a couple bottom pair guys basically that would just again feast on on those minutes, and it's um, I think it is a really good recipe for success. It's just obviously the hardest part is finding four legitimate, really good top four or one or two absolutely elite top four players who can just kind of drag whoever's with them and. You know, that's obviously easier said than done. But if you have that, there's a very good path where you can take advantage of what you have. Yeah, exactly. And I think when it comes to pairings, 
if you've got a really strong elite guy on there, he can kind of drag the other guy around, even if he's not, you know, top end. See, I've always said on your first pairing, you don't need two all-stars. You need your all-star and a guy that, that you can find to be compliment. So everyone uses the the Mathot Carlson comparison because Mark thought, I mean, uh, charitably is, is not a first pairing D in most cases, but it just fits so well. The chemistry was there. So you don't need to go find four all-stars. But you need two good pairings where the guys really work well together. And then you've got yourself a top four. And I think what's nice is that Zub, for whatever reason, seems to immediately make his partner better. And I don't think he doesn't do anything, one thing particularly great, but he's got such a great overall package that that tends to complement and makes the other guy, especially if the other guy's offensively inclined, uh, that seems to really uh compare uh, and I don't remember the sense having anyone like that for a while on, on on the D. So it's like that's been a revelation to to be able to to snag him. Yeah, the best part about Zub is he just doesn't have any obvious flaws, which like it feels like a common thing, you know, like that's obviously a very good thing to have. But, you know, you think of how many players around the league that you can say that of. And it's not like Zub does anything really special either, as you said, but like he just He's just that perfect three, four kind of guy where it's like, yeah, he makes everyone he plays better because he just, he doesn't make mistakes. So the little, the stuff he does little, right. The people that he's playing with, when they have something that they can excel at, it just, it multiplies it. Right. And that's why it's the perfect thing. And, and to your, you know, the Carlson Mathot one gets, gets thrown out. And I really think, you know, Shabbat DeMello is another great example of that. Like mm-hmm. Dylan DeMello. And again, I, I don't want to keep referencing it because yeah, it's the one that got away or whatever. And, you know, but he, he's a solid three slash four kind of guy he's never going to be an all-star but you know you pay him four million three million dollars and he can play 22 minutes a night with your top pair and look just competent doing it and you know when you have a guy of of shabbat skill that's all you really need and you know hopefully you're you hope sanderson's the same way obviously but um yeah like i think that's a, a real ideal way to build your decor out where you know you split your two best guys up ideally and then just have them play on guys who it can't be the Nikita Zaitsevs of the world. Like, sorry to him, but it's just got to be someone who's a solid defenseman. And that's all you say about them. And that's all they need to be. Yeah, exactly. I think you see that, that model around the the league because um, there's no team that I can think of that has four amazing defensemen, right? They're they're usually Carolina. And that's about it. Yeah. Carolina might be the, the, uh, the wonderland for, for defensemen, but for the most part, and you can build, if you look at cup winners and everything, they don't tend, they'll, they'll have two really strong D and they're usually anchored different pairs. And then they just have great depth overall that kind of fills out the rest of it. So um, the sense aren't as far out uh, from, from you seeing that, proper mix and i think we we might believe uh sanderson i'm sure right we're we're counting a lot on on him i I, in just watching him he's he's very very mature uh i think his game he could probably play coming out of camp next year i mean the fact that he went back to school so great i think it'll be even better when he comes he'll have that full year where he gets he's all situations guy uh in in und next year and and uh you know maybe they'll make a run he'll have a little more experience on the, the playoff side but uh to me he, he'll slot in really well and and be that guy that's so elusive to find uh you know externally so that's why it's important you know sometimes you got to expend a, a top pick to bring a guy like that in because it's almost impossible to find them otherwise yeah absolutely and you know when when he comes in one of these guys are gonna unfortunately have to slide out and that's mente and branstrom and I want to get your thoughts on their play over the past week or two as well, because again, I've really liked them. I said the other night, it's 
one of the most refreshing things to have three guys, especially on the left side, that you actually just enjoy watching play hockey. Like, I, I don't know if there's too, too many times we can say that of the Sens on the left side in, in recent memory, you know. And, um, you know, I, I really liked what Mete's brought in a sheltered role. You know, I, I don't think he he stands out too much, but he's been pretty limited in what he's been asked to do. And I think that that's been a perfect fit for him because he's really excelled. You know, he's controlled shots. He's controlled expected goals and, you know, the play. And he just... The, the smoothness that he can move the puck, I just, I admire. And, you know, I, I want to get your opinion because I really like what Victor Mente has brought to a third pair role so far. Yeah, it's surprising when you come in and the first thing you say is, what was Montreal doing that they didn't want to play him? I don't, I don't get it. Uh, and because I did have, uh, I think in, not this season, but because uh, he barely played this season, but uh, in previous years, uh, I always liked him when he was in Montreal. It seemed like he was a, uh, uh, a guy that was on his way up there and, and that they, they moved to the lineup and for whatever reason, he fell out of favor. Um, he's, he's uh, smaller than I thought uh, he was, but I don't know why I just I had pictured him being a, a little bit bigger. So he is very much like he and Brandstrom. That's going to be the issue. I think is that they're, they're really similar. I think Mete's more polished. He's a little older. So that that's, uh, that's part of it. And he's had more NHL experience. Uh they both bring similar thing. I love I, if if they line these three guys up next year, I would have no problem with that uh, on on the left side. And you know, let the chips fall where they may. If if, if once Sanderson comes, that's a full season ahead. So, uh, Mete being you know as young as he is too, there, there's room to grow just the same way uh, w- with Brandstrom. So uh, I think that again was one of the the you know, strongest moves they made this year is, is to actually reach in for that waiver claim. Uh, to pick Mete up, um, he's an RFA. You know, you get him under contract again. You don't have to do anything huge. I don't think he's he's really got a lot of leverage in terms of his contract demands. Uh, it's a great body to have on the line. And I think, again, the, the main key on this team is you get the confidence of DJ, and it's, it feels like he does. Like it, it seems like he's getting yes, it's third pairing minutes, but he, he's not being afraid to, to throw him out. He's not getting this, you know. You could tell when Branstrom came out the first time and, and he actually got into games, it was very, he'd end up getting benched by the third period, right? He, DJ didn't trust him to throw him out at that point. And Mete is still getting a regular shift, even if it's in the third pairing. So um, I, I like, I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what they can all do together for uh, the start of the season. Yeah. I think it's, um, it, it's, they are similar. Him and Branstrom are very similar. And, you know, I don't think that's an issue, but, you know, obviously if you have a Sanderson type player, you can fit in your lineup, you're going to do it. And, and and that's why I'm interested to see what happens here, because, you know, th- there's a scenario where I think it could fit well if where Mete becomes the seventh defenseman, the question will just be whether he wants to or not. And, and I, even like myself, I forget how young he is sometimes. Like he's 22 years old. It's just, he feels like he's been in the league forever because he made it as an 18 year old. Right. But like he, he uh, I don't know how much more growing he has than this, but even at this, you know, at the very worst, this is a very good third pair defenseman. And, you know, I think it was a very, very savvy move for, for Dorian to pick him up. And, you know, I think um, the the ability to know that you're not being benched has really helped Eric Brandstrom as of late too. You know, I thought he's been really good. Um, you know, you look, if you just sort from Ottawa's uh, pairs over the past uh, a week or two, you know, Brandstrom, um, he's up at the top a couple times, him and Mete, they only played a couple minutes together. So it barely counts. Uh, they're, they're at the top. And then, you know, Branstrom and Shabbat have looked really good together. And in, in a short amount of time, you know, they played about nine minutes together total. Um, you know, I've really thought that, uh, uh Branstrom has been someone who 
he just looks a lot better. Like it just, he looks like he's playing more comfortable. If that makes sense. You know, you, you mentioned that at the beginning of the year, he would be benched by the third period and it just, we're not seeing that player anymore. And it looks totally different. Yeah. And uh, I've always been interested on like the left shot, right shot thing. Like can a guy who's a natural left shot play on the right side? Because we've heard a lot for over the, the last year or two with Brandstrom specifically saying he prefers the right shot. Uh, and there was a great interview with, again, Marco thought, uh, I think it was on the radio, not on his podcast, but um, they were asked, they asked him about that and said, you were uh, a left shot D, but you had played right during your career at certain points. What's the difference? And he said, it's, if you're an offensive minded D, those guys really like being on their offside because of the way that uh, they can they can break the puck out. Uh, they they're able to set themselves up for point shots, things like that. And what really hurts you when you're on your offside is trying to keep the puck in on your backhand, and, and also sometimes coming out of your corner uh, on on your offside as well. So that's why coaches aren't really as uh, keen on it. But he said the guys that uh, tend to be more equipped to do it are offensive defense. Because uh, because of the, their skill and they and they like that, so he said it's harder for like your quote unquote stay at home guy, your 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 defense guy to play on their offside. Which he said, which is funny because that's kind of what he is. But it, uh, that was interesting to me to see like if they are forced to try that, how that would look. Because he said like Shabbat and Branstrom have played a little bit together, and, and I think you know Branstrom's a little more freed up when that happens, but. You know, is that a long-term solution to to move a guy on his off side to to play on the right just because of you know what you have uh, in the other spots on your left side? So, uh, it would be interesting for me to see a stretch where, where he did that and just see compare it. Is, is that something that's viable? Because that opens up more possibilities if, if that's the case. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool to see for like even just ten games or whatever at the end of this year, beginning of next year. Like next year, you know, it's a full eighty-two games, and you're going to want some improvement, but you know, you still get a lot of room to play around with the lineup there. And that's something I think they could look into because it makes sense from a logistical standpoint, when you're thinking about it, you know, the defensive defensive guy, his main goal is going to be breaking the puck out. And you know, the odds are, if you're more defensive, you probably don't have as great puck handling skills. So if you have to take it from your backhand to your forehand, because you're on your offside all the time, that makes sense. Whereas you know, someone like Ranchstrom, hey, he's not going to be quite as worried about the puck battles on the board or whatever, but he can set up for the one-time shot in, in the offensive end. But B, he's just so fluent with the puck that for him, I don't think moving backhand to forehand real quick and getting that little extra space would be as big of an issue. So uh, I, I do think there's an avenue there where like it, it could work out. And, you know, just what, you know, from what the Mathot quotes and stuff, like it, it makes a ton of sense logistically why that is the case, right? Like there's sometimes where people say it's like, I, I don't really understand that, but this is a case to me where it's like, oh yeah, that like that seems very clear. Like that that that's um, when you think about it, it makes sense. But I I, I think that there's a, a good case to be made that you know if you really want to, especially if Mete keeps playing like this, that you know you could really want to see. And if Sanderson comes in again, it's there's probably what sixty games next year before Sanderson comes in. You know, maybe even a little more, assuming we have a full eighty two next season. Um, but like if you really want to get all four of those guys in the lineup at the same time, there's an avenue by doing it. And it's just playing branch from on the right side. And um, you know, I think if you, if that's your plan, I, I would like to see them do it earlier in the year rather than right when they have to, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and just, just to get that evaluation. Cause I think it's pretty apparent, even if he played a couple games there, 
if it's not working, you can tell, right? If, if he's getting burned on a bunch of uh, things or he, or uh, hop, hops over his backhand at the point, or, then they're going to probably stop that experiment pretty quickly. Uh, but you might see something that, that frees him up and all of a sudden, like, hey, you know, maybe you're not even 100% of the time we do this, but we know we have this option and that works really well. Like if we want to, you know, uh, change the 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 uh, the mix for for a while and get this guy in uh he can bump over to right side when we need him to so yeah there's there's a lot of things that I, i'd like them to try i think that's that's certainly one of them because it gives them more flexibility yeah and another thing like that where it's like if they're down a goal with 10 minutes left in the game or whatever and they really need to just press offensively throw Branstrom on the right with shabbat and let the two of them go to town you know what i mean like and just like you know it doesn't have to be for the full game or whatever but for a couple shifts here and there try and get the momentum back in your side and generate a goal to tie it up or whatever i think that would be the, the perfect opportunity to try something like that and again I, I really hope they do you know i think that there's um um, a lot of in the box thinking sometimes when it comes to NHL coaching and there's probably is a couple edges where you can really take advantage of just trying it. And, you know, not all teams can afford to, you know, like there's teams like Toronto, for example, even Montreal, you know, they're kind of in a, a win now mode with that roster that they have where they don't really have the luxury of playing around with random stuff for four or five games where as the senators for this year and next year, they absolutely do, you know, because if it backfires, you go, Oh shoot, we were trying something new. It didn't work, whatever. Let's just move on and try something else, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the only other thing I want to touch on quick was the goaltending. Uh, Matt Murray goes down again, unfortunately. Uh, it just it just hasn't been his year. Uh, you know, I there was questions about that contract when it was signed, but, you know, this year has just been more sad from – it feels like every time he's kind of got his feet underneath him and starts to play a little better – he goes down and gets hurt. And, you know, I think the biggest thing going forward is going to be consistency because we've seen really bad Matt Murray. We've seen pretty good Matt Murray. Like there's been a couple of games where he's looked like old Matt Murray and then it's been injured Matt Murray. So it's, what are you going to get for the full 82 game season? Because that's what's Ottawa. That's what Ottawa really is going to need to know. Yeah. And you're not really going to know that at this point because of the injuries and everything. And you just, you can kind of cross your fingers. I don't think he's going anywhere. So he's going to be, your guy, I, I think what's weird about the NHL because goaltending is so uh, um, wild and wildly inconsistent overall <laughs> from season to season. Uh, you might have a guy that that uh, had himself an, an amazing year and then he drops off a cliff uh, the following year, and you don't really know if that's going to happen or not. Um, you know, with, with Murray, that what's done is done in terms of the contract. You can't really like if for anyone that followed my Twitter feed, I like, right from the start, I thought that was a really Awful idea. This year should have been a show me year, uh, ideally. But uh, he's he's locked up, and yes, you, you have seen signs at least that he's not like uh, washed <laughs> completely. So that that's important. That because there was a period of time like I don't think they might have to buy this guy out. Like he looks like he can't even play uh, NHL uh, goalie anymore. Like there was there's that certain that stretch. But then you know you could see all right, he's had some time to reset and he can get in there. And I think for him, there's probably not a huge ceiling that exists. Like I, I think you can, if things go well, you can get out there and he can provide you NHL level goaltending at, at, where he's not going to necessarily hurt you. I don't know if he's out there stealing games uh, that often, but uh, you know, if that's the, if you can get him out there and hope that he's stopping the most of the ones that he should be stopping, then I mean that that's uh, good enough, and then you you can't hope that any of those young guys that you have behind him, uh, who end up being here next year, uh, there's no issue there. If one of them 
takes off and he's sort of what uh you know struggling and, and not really finding his group let the the guy that took off take the mantle right it so what your 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 big money guy backs up for 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 a while i mean that's it's a sunk cost at this point uh hopefully there is uh you know there, you have someone that can reach up and and uh really take the the mantle and you know if it's whatever that guy is if it's decord or if it's gus or, or um you you at least have options underneath him uh and you don't have to play him in every single game next year if it's not working yeah sunk cost is the best way to put it in my opinion like that's exactly what i think you have to view it as let him be you know he's probably he's going to be the starter going into next year that's okay let him play but yeah he plays two or three bad games in a row he's not the starter anymore let the let the let a backup try and figure it out and um it's it's funny because it, it's when you think back to the beginning of the year it is really hard to quantify just how bad the goaltending was for about 15 to 20 games. And it was him and Holberg is the weirdest part too. It wasn't until Decord stepped in and really showed us something, but it was like every game, it was like, how is that puck going in the net? Like there'll be one or two of them a game. And I'm just like, I don't know if I've seen goaltending that bad in a lot, like that big of a stretch of it. Yeah. Well, the two of them together. Yeah. You're right. in saying that usually like sometimes you'll just see a guy lose it for a while. Right. And, and he, he needs to just, take a step back work with the goaltending coach and like, he's got the yips almost right. But they both got it at the same time. And, uh, and so a lot of people then kind of extrapolated that to be like, Oh, it's the team, uh, you know, that they're But when you watch those games, it's not like they were giving up a ton of offensive chances, like much more. I think they tightened up a little, uh, you know, certainly the way they play now uh, as compared to them, but it wasn't like, they were getting shell shocked in terms of defensive chance. It wasn't an amazing the defensive team, but uh, it was me. It was on the goalies in a, in a yeah, lot of the games. It, they they were giving up shots that that you know if you're wanting to be a professional goaltender, you should be stopping. Yeah, like the team didn't help anything, but it's not on the team that a point shot with no screen goes through five hole that never left the ice. It's like, that's not on the team. That is on the goaltending. And it happened to both guys. So it's, and like Holberg's a little different because, you know, he looked a little better the other night, um, but he just, I don't know, man. The, the experiment with him this year has gone backwards, unfortunately. I really liked what he brought last year. I thought he, I would have been happy if they went in with him and like Decord as the two starters this year. And um yeah, I don't know where Holberg goes from here because I think it's pretty clear he's not one of Ottawa's two or three best options um, next year. And, you know, I, I hope he can find his game somewhere because, you know, he seems like a great guy. But just even some of the game, like, who is it? They were playing Vancouver the other night and the, the puck handling error behind the net. And then there was another one that is just it's kind of one where it's like, man, that those goals just take the winds out of your sails. And it feels like it's happened a little too often or yeah, too often. And, you know, again, with Matt Murray, the, the biggest thing is he hasn't stolen games for you. And I think that's my biggest fear going forward is that you're paying this guy a lot of money and yeah, you kind of just have to ignore the contract now, but if the best you're getting is probably like the 14th or 12th best goaltender in the league, that's uh you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. So I, I do really hope that, you know, with the goaltending, they, they look at it as, you know, they, they almost just ignore contracts. Going into next year, whoever plays the best is getting played, and that's how it should be because that'll give them the best chance to win, obviously. Yeah, and and Holberg, I think it's pretty clear they've moved on from all right. Like, he's only playing games because he had no other options right now. But if if Forsberg, for example, was, was healthy, he'd be playing. And I don't even think Forsberg's in the plans, but they just like him. They just trust him more. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think like he's uh Hoger's RFA, right? So I, I, I bet you that he doesn't get qualified. 
I, I mean, yeah. that would be my uh, guess if, if you're saying what, what's happening with him, because again, they have lots of other options. Uh, he just, if you look at his career, like last few seasons, he has been up and down, right? That even his AHL performance, it's not like you've had like this long, long stretch of him being lights out in the AHL. He would play really well for a while. And then the, you know, he drop off and they'd need to go with, with the, the other goalie that was there um, in backup. And then, yeah, he had that great stretch when he came up the NHL last year. Uh, but again, it was just a stretch, right? So I don't think he's ever really been able to put it together for a long, I have no idea what happened to him at the start of this season, because that was just, like I said, I, it feels like the yips. It just was, a um, he couldn't find his net, right? He was, he was about uh four feet outside the post half the time. Right? Literally. And that, some and that's a, I think that's a mental thing. That's just like, you have to go back into the lab and with your goaltending coach and fix that because uh, you, you've gone off the rails. Right. Um, so I think for them, that's enough because they have other guys that, that uh, they know can, they can work with and are just not interested in, in trying to give him time to, to potentially work through that. So I think he's out of the plans. I, I think they like Forsberg, but I don't see the point in bringing him back when they have so many other options. And again, you have four pro goalie spots. You have two in the NHL, two in the AHL. You're not going to have your taxi squad next year. So, uh, and you and you have like when I look at Manly Sogard are signed. That seems to be your AHL tandem. They don't even have an ECHL team at this point because Brampton folded. Uh, so there's not even a place, another place to stash an extra goalie. Uh, so really, you're just looking at who's my backup, and you have. You know, we already have Gus and Decord, right? Yeah, exactly. So even then, like, who, who out of those guys? Uh, and then maybe the expansion draft takes care of that, right? And so maybe uh, you're uh, you're down one of those guys, but um, yeah, it, it's the writing's on the wall for for so we just you know the, the few games we get to see him in here is probably his goodbye tour with uh, with the Sens, and yeah, I would like to see him you know catch on with someone else. That would be nice for him, but uh, yeah, it, the writing's been on the wall. Yeah, I think with Forsberg, the only reason it would make back make sense to bring him back is if they do some kind of limited taxi squad again next year, which I, I doubt they will, but you never know with where, where COVID is. Maybe they feel it's, or maybe they just liked it this year, you know, the idea of the taxi squad, and they do, all right, instead of, I don't know, how many, do you have six on this year? Maybe they do, you can have three extra guys that are on your taxi squad, and, and that would be the only only real point I would see to bringing back Forsberg as just a guy who can sit there and, and not collect dust, but you don't have to worry about the development of a young kid being ruined. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah, with, with, with Holberg, it's kind of the same thing where I, I, yeah, I hope he goes, you know, maybe he goes back overseas, but if there's an NHL team that wants to take a flyer on him as their AHL goalie, uh, I, I would love to see it because he seems like a good guy. And, you know, he's always, he's always interesting to watch. That's for sure. But um, yeah, yeah I, I don't see his fit here long-term, even in the short term, really. Yeah, I had a, a preseason prediction that he'd overtake Murray during the season. Obviously, that was uh, wildly incorrect, but uh, I was right in thinking that Murray might struggle, but I didn't think that Hopper would be even worse. So, uh, yeah, I think at this point, you can you can see that it's, uh, it's going to be uh, him trying out to see where he can fit in somewhere else uh, for next season. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a pretty good place to wrap it up. We had a lot of topics. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? Well, just mainly on Twitter. So uh, at Defense Minister, like you mentioned, uh, that's where I, uh, if, if I have some thoughts, you'll see uh, some threads pop up every once in a while where uh, I need to get out. But otherwise, yeah, that's where I, I kind of make my home to, to comment on the sends. 
And I, I totally recommend following. Uh, absolute great ball. One of my favorites for a long time. And um, I'll tag you in the, in the post when it goes out so everyone can see too. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Have a great day. And I'll, I'll have to have you on again down, down the road. Appreciate it. I'd be happy to. Have a good one.